Hello. Uh, so, yeah, um, as you probably know, um, I'm the lead technical artist on the Total War series at Creative Assembly. And for anyone who doesn't know of Creative Assembly, we're one of the longest running studios in uh, the UK now. It's our 30th year this year. Um, and we're also one of the largest. So we employ nearly 500 people, I think. Um, we've got two main teams, the console team, um, who works on Alien Isolation, and more recently, Halo Wars 2, and the Total War team that I'm a part of. Um, we've made Shogun 2, Rome 2, um, and Attila, and more recently, Total War Warhammer with Games Workshop, and due to release Total War Warhammer 2 this year, um, we also have a 10v10 MOBA called Total War Arena. We've done some mobile work as well. So we've got sort of quite a diverse range that I work on. Um, and I'm part of a small, dedicated technical art team that covers all the projects on Total War. Um, and we support a team of artists of around 80 members across different roles, uh, character artists, environment artists, UI, uh, VFX. Um, luckily, not all the artists actually need that much support. Um, concept artists are pretty sort of set in their um, production. They don't need to get anything exported into game. Um, so our main focus is on the 3D asset creators and UI and VFX. Um, so only about half of the team that we have to deal with sort of day to day. Um, but we create tools in software, such as Myron 3ds Max. Um, we do data optimization for games to make our games run faster um, and also improve the visual quality. Uh, so we want our games to look as awesome as possible and we work with the programming teams and the artists themselves to define what our games should look like. Um, the other part of my role is being a lead. So managing three people. Um, I have regular meetings with them to work out sort of how they want to grow in their career. Um, make sure I know of any issues that they have um, and find ways of solving them. Um, and also talking with the project owners and artists to make sure I'm prioritizing all the tasks for each project um, for technical art to make sure we're not blocking anyone and that we're going to finish the games on time. Um, so as a technical artist, I don't create anything any individual thing in game anymore. So I can't point to anything on screen and go, that was mine, I created it. But what I do will affect every pixel on screen. So it's, it's very rewarding, um, whether it's optimizing the data so that it runs fast and we can have people playing at 60 frames per second and enjoying the experience, or whether it was in the pipeline for artists to create that work. Um, and I was made a lead seven years after graduating. So if you imagine you might be employed for 45 or more years, it can be seen as sort of quite a swift move up. Um, and also last year, I was recognized as one of BAFTA's Breakthrough Brits. Um, the Breakthrough Brits is an initiative that recognizes up to 20 creative people who are up and coming um, within film, television, and games. Um, and it recognizes the work that you've done and also offers a year of mentorship and guidance program um, and support. So I've been taking advantage of that in sort of developing myself. So one of the most important things in your career is getting your foot in the door. Um, 
once you have a job, it makes it a lot easier to get a different job in the industry. Once you've got experience, you know how jobs, how games work, um, how the production cycle goes, and you, in the first few months of having a job, you probably have learned so much more than sort of the three or four years that you've been at university or just from being at home. So getting your foot in the door is really important and it's important to be prepared for that. And I have to say that I wasn't entirely prepared sort of looking for my first job. Um, luckily, sort of when I graduated, there was a bit less competition. Um, it seemed that there were more sort of graduate roles for as you were finishing your course. So I hadn't got a portfolio prepared when I finished my exams and coursework, and I had to build my portfolio from that point. Um, it seems now there's a lot more internships, so companies are looking for graduates before they've even finished. Um, so it's, it's important for people to have an online presence already in case someone's looking for a job or that you have a portfolio in case a job turns up that you can apply for. Um, I had to sort of put that together after I'd finished. Um, and also, it took me a while to realize that I wanted to work in game development. When I started university, um, I didn't know what I wanted to be. Um, and even at college, I knew I liked science and maths, and I had an artistic side, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with that. So I was quite lucky in finding a course at Bournemouth University called Computer Visualization and Animation that taught me how to do 3D modeling animation, but also taught me C++ programming and maths for computer graphics. So I was quite lucky in finding that, and it really helped me sort of discover what I wanted to do creatively, and also that there was a way of applying both te the technical and artistic side. Um, that course was actually designed more to create technical directors for film. Um, but in my third year, I, I realized I enjoy making games more. So these skills that I have, um, if I can apply those to games and get a, game, a job in game development, I'd be a lot happier. Um, and my specialization, I realized I was better at sort of animating versus, say, 3D modeling and texturing. Um, so when I finished, I started putting my animation portfolio together um, and applied to jobs at several companies. But it wasn't until I went to the gamesindustry.biz careers fair at EGX, which then was called Eurogamer Expo, that I finally found my break. Um, so I printed off. Um, copies of my CV and burnt my showreel to CD so that people could take it away with them afterwards. Um, and the idea was that even if I didn't meet someone at the careers fair that was going to offer me a job, I'd be able to get feedback on my portfolio um, and hopefully some advice to improve. Um, I spoke to several companies there on the day um, and it was really valuable just being able to have a conversation face to face. Um, and luckily I heard back from two of them. And one of those companies was a little studio in Guildford called Knickknack, um, which made children's games. And they invited me for a, an interview on site a few weeks later. Um, and I was quite lucky in that they offered me the job. Um, the guy I was interviewing with was the person who I'd met at the careers fair, um, and he sort of looked at my showreel, 
decided that I matched what they were looking for. Um, and I started my first job in games at the beginning of 2009. Um, so Knickknack was a pretty small studio. Um, there were about 40 people um, within development and IT. Um, and the first game I was working on was called Girls' Life Sleepover Party. So not exactly the kind of title that you sort of imagine yourself when you're like, oh, I'm going to get a career in games. I'm going to make video games. It's going to be really cool. Um, but I did get a lot of valuable experience. Um, I was one of the youngest members of the team, but because people were generally older than me, I really felt like, oh, I need to sort of push myself and sort of prove myself and not be sort of the weak link in the chain. Um, unfortunately, after a few months working there, one of the worst things that can happen at any game studio happened, and there were redundancies. Um, unfortunately, uh, some of the projects that we worked on um, got canned. Uh, a lot of our work was work for hire, so either we pitched ideas to a publisher or publishers had an idea for a game and they wanted a studio to make it. Unfortunately, one of those publishers um, had re-evaluated what they, what they wanted, um, so we couldn't continue developing some of the titles. Um, and we, we couldn't afford, as a studio, to keep on every member of staff. Now, being sort of new to the industry and quite new to the job, I kind of figured I'd be the first to go. But luckily, Girls' Life Sleepover Party was still in production, and sort of the work I'd done had been sort of noticed as good and valuable. So I managed to keep my job. Um, and during the development of, of Girls' Life, um, I also got to work very closely with the programming team, in particular the lead programmer. Um, because of my technical background and when they were trying to solve problems within the game, um, they realized I, I was quite useful to sort of have and have conversations with, sort of like how should this animation system work. Um, and I also learned a very important lesson in assuming that people with more experience know more than you or are better at everything than you. Um, so by the end of sort of production on Girls Life, um, I was working with two other animators and they didn't have a very good, strong technical background. They were very good at animating, but they sort of didn't really understand engine constraints or sort of how the animation data worked behind the scenes. Um, so they were kind of handicapped in a way because um, we were such a small team. You sort of, you, you didn't have the luxury of going, oh, I just want to be an animator. I want to do really good animation and I'll just like put it in game and somebody else will sort of make it all work. So actually I was quite beneficial to the project, being able to sort of talk to the programmers about how the animations should look on screen, but also how they should work, sort of what, what was the programming constraints that they needed to work with and any issues that they needed to solve to help us get the game looking how we wanted. Um, and that hard work and valuable work was noticed. Um, and at the end of production, on Girls Life Sleepover Party. Unfortunately, we weren't able to sign any other projects and they had to close the studio. Um, and I was lucky in that I was offered a position relocating to the Brighton studio in Kuju. Um, I'd also started on a six month contract and when it came time to renew that, I was also offered the promotion from junior animator to 
regular development animator. But at that time, I made one of the scariest and most pivotal, pivotal decisions of my career in that I turned the relocation job offer down. Um, I think a few people were kind of thought I was crazy because at that point we'd, we'd shipped, I'd shipped a, a, a game in my first year, um, which for anyone who's worked at successful companies where you ship every game you work on, you, you might not realize sort of like how many games don't make it out the door that you might have started working on. Um, so even with it sort of like it was a little Wii title, not many people would have seen it. I doubt any of you have ever heard of it. Um, but just getting that out there and, and getting it to consumers, that was a big achievement. Um, but I'd learned a lot working on it, and I sort of, I evaluated sort of the pros and cons of, of accepting the relocation down to Brighton. Um, and I figured for me, it wasn't what I wanted right then. Um, arguably, I could have accepted the relocation, gone and worked there, and I'd, I'd have a stable job and I could still look for positions elsewhere. But I wanted a challenge, and I didn't think that I'd have enough time to create a showreel that showed off the technical skills um, that I'd sort of built up working at the first studio whilst having a full-time job. Um, and I thought it was better for me at that time to sort of just put all of my efforts into building up that showreel um, and trying to find a job that worked for me. So I applied to sort of bigger studios on bigger projects as an animator, but I also put together my showreel for being a technical animator. Um, and I was lucky in being offered a job as a technical animator at Rebellion. Um, it was also the one time that I've used a recruiter in my career. Um, generally, I'm, there are pros and cons to using a recruiter to help you get a job. Um, usually throughout your career, as you start sort of meeting more people and making connections, they'll let you know if there are positions available at the companies they're working at. So you find out sort of more by word of mouth what opportunities there are. But what recruiters are really good at is sort of selling you as a person. And also when it comes to sort of salary negotiations, if you're not comfortable sort of arguing sort of what you expect uh, to earn, um, especially if you're sort of like, oh, I, I just really want a job, I really want to work here, but you don't want to start a job sort of on a salary that you're not comfortable with, recruiters can be quite useful in that. And at this point, having a recruiter was very good in that I'd done sort of nearly a year working sort of on the technical side, but I didn't really know how to sell myself, and they were a good sort of prop to have as giving me the confidence that, yeah, I've got this other person who's backing me up to the company saying that I can do the job. So I started at Rebellion at the beginning of 2010, and it was a big step up for me. I was the sole technical animator uh, working with seven animators and supporting them by creating rigs, animation tools, and I was also working on the engine team to again develop animation systems um, and improve the quality of the game. Um, and I got called into meetings, more discussions, um, and having to champion ideas for the animation team. Um, and within the first year working there, we shipped P3 
PDC World Championship darts. Um, the wonders of technology of having my prompts on my phone. Um, yeah, and within a year and a half, I was promoted to senior technical animator. Um, and this was from being noticed my hard work within the company um, and also having learned to negotiate. So I had to, I didn't specifically ask to be promoted, but what I did do is I went into meetings and talked to, um, then it was the, the head of studio um, about sort of the work that I was doing, what value that had to the company, what value it had to the projects. Um, and it was, it was around a time when things in the gaming industry weren't so stable. So we had the financial crisis in 2008, and it seemed to hit the games industry maybe in the years afterwards. So some companies weren't able to offer pay rises. Um, but obviously, you still, you still want to um, reward your staff for being good at their job and ensure that they're happy where they work. Um, but part of getting pay rises, any promotions, is being able to sell yourself and being able to talk objectively about the work that you do rather than going into a meeting and demand you get money because, oh, I've got X amount of experience and I should get paid this. Being able to go in and say, this is the work I have delivered and this is what other places would offer me doing the same work is a much more sort of quantitative argument about what you are worth as an individual. We then went on to ship Never Dead, our, which was a Konami title um, for PS3 and Xbox 360 in 2012, and then later that year, um, Sniper Elite V2 on PC, PS3, and Xbox 360. So having successfully delivered those games, um, it seemed an apt time to look at what the next step was in my career. Um, I really loved the people that I was working with at Rebellion, um, but there was also a sense of being close to my family, who lived in the South. Um, and I managed to get a job at Creative Assembly um, as a character rigger. Um, so I started at Creative Assembly at the end of development for Total War Rome 2. Um, and there didn't seem a huge point in me sort of coming in at the tail end and fixing bugs that I didn't really know the system or the engine. So I went straight in to work on Total War Warhammer. Um, at the time, on the historical titles, where animations had mostly been sort of humans having fights, maybe some dogs and elephants, the animation system, um, in terms of creating assets, uh, was mostly in Motion Builder. Um, but with the variety of characters for Total War Warhammer, which includes dragons, um, and manticores, um, bats, and all manner of things, and a thing called a chaos spawn, which has lots of tentacles. Um, Motion Builder didn't quite sort of match the requirements. So we were looking to move to Maya, and we needed to create a rigging system that dealt with sort of all these complex creatures. Um, but that was easy for animators to sort of move between different rigs without getting confused as to what controls did, did what. Um, it needed to be friendly for them. Um, and it also needed to deal with changes. So inevitably throughout game production, the design may change or you suddenly put something into game and, and realize, oh, when it's on, at this size on the screen, 
um, or next to all these other objects, it might look too small, or actually it needs to have a, have a bigger attack range, and you may need to change the rig. So it needs to create a robust system. So my first three months working at Creative Assembly was focused on that side of the tool development. Um, and then I went on to work with our other character rigger, developing a suite of animation tools, sort of pose libraries, secondary dynamics for doing cloth um, and hair movement, um, and really sort of supporting the animators in, in how they created work. Um, so I joined Total War Warhammer right at the beginning. So there were only sort of a couple of designers, a couple of concept artists, and a modeler. So we were able to work really closely together to sort of work, work out what we needed to do for the game. And it's, it was a sort of rare opportunity during development where you were very focused on the pre-production stage. Um, it was almost a, a luxury to kind of be able to test things without sort of someone going, oh, I need, I need that asset now. I need it to be finished. Um, also in March of 2013, I was listed as one of the top 100 women uh, in games in the UK by MCV. Um, and then later that year in develops 30 under 30 ones to watch. Um, that was sort of off the back of the work I'd been doing at Rebellion and sort of the early work I was doing at Creative Assembly. Um, and it was really gratifying to sort of have been noticed because they're both recognitions that somebody nominates you for. So you sort of get that idea that, oh, someone thinks I'm doing a good job. Um, and it sort of reinforces with you sort of like to be to be proud of the work that you've done and also to continue developing as a, as a games developer. Um, so during Total War Warhammer, um, I continued to support the animators until sort of about halfway through the project where I made the switch over to become a senior technical artist. And that change came about from a conversation at the pub. Um, so it was, I think it was somebody's leaving do, um, and I was there with um, our art director, who sort of oversees the entire art department. And we just got into a discussion with a couple of other people about sort of, we, we didn't have a, a formal technical art team. Uh, we had a couple of people who were technically minded and cre could create scripts to support the, the artists in sort of speeding up processes. But there was no one whose job it was to, sort of dedicated to be looking out for those technical issues. The, the people who were already supporting it, they, they had responsibilities to create art assets um, for the game, um, to make content. So while I was at the pub having this conversation, I was kind of like, well, that's something that I could do. Um, and I followed it back up in the office of, actually, is, is this a real thing? Like, do, do you want someone to do this? Um, and I was able to make that transition over. Um, and that was the start of our sort of official technical art department on Total War. Um, and due to, at that time, we were hiring more artists, and we were also sort of expanding in terms of the number of projects we'd work on. Sort of prior to Total War Warhammer, we'd be focused on one title at a time. So during production on Rome 2, most of the team was just working on Rome 2. Um, but we had this license with um, Games Workshop, developing Total War Warhammer, um, and we also starting to look at our MOBA, um, and we also have our historical game thread still running. So we now have several projects. Um, and it seemed imperative that actually we, we build up that technical art team. Um, 
because we can improve people's speed and efficiency of getting art into game. And we can also improve the visual quality by being able to look at the game, um, look at all the assets in engine, look at the data and be able to optimize it without sort of having to worry about, oh, I, I also have to make stuff to go in. Um, so I was focused on the needs of the team um, and also assessing sort of what we needed to do as a technical art department. So whereas previously before I'd been focused on animation, I was now looking more at sort of like modeling and rendering techniques. Um, and by the end of the project, we become a team of three technical artists sort of covering mainly Total War Warhammer at that time, but we were ready to sort of expand to cover our other projects. Um, also due to sort of taking on this responsibility of managing people, I was promoted to lead technical artist. Um, yeah. And off the back of shipping Total War Warhammer, I was shortlisted for the Rising Star Award at the UK's Women in Games Awards. Um, and later that year was my selection as a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit. Um, and since then I've been taking advantage of what the Breakthrough Brits initiative has to offer in terms of developing myself as a technical artist, um, as a games developer who works for a company um, being Creative Assembly, but also looking at what I want as a developer, um, what sort of games do I want to make, what direction do I want to go in, what, what do I want my future to be in games development. Um, and I've also continued being involved with BAFTA so last year, I was a judge for the Young Game Design comp um, uh, competition, um, and also a juror on the BAFTA Games Awards juries for artistic achievement and ones to watch. Um, so you're all here today, so you're already sort of getting involved with, with BAFTA. Um, I just kind of want to reiterate that it is sort of very rewarding in what it, what it offers. Um, I think sort of, Many of you are probably part of BAFTA crew, um, and later in your careers may go on to become members of BAFTA, um, and it puts you in touch with people. It, it gives you sort of a space to have conversations with other developers, which is really important um, to sort of have those conversations and know what's going on in the wider industry. Um, and they also do initiatives like BAFTA Breakthrough Brits and the scholarship program for going on into um, postgraduate degrees and getting support that way, um, both of which have applications open at the moment. Um, so it's good to kind of be aware, both with BAFTA and outside, what opportunities are available, because you don't have to just rely on sort of your job itself to kind of push you forward in your career. You can be self-motivated, go out there and find different events, whether those are conferences um, or sort of just networking events maybe in your local area. Um, also earlier this year, I became a Women in Games ambassador, uh, which means that I help sort of promote to maybe younger girls who aren't aware of games as a career option, that there is that possibility if they're interested. And it sort of builds on what I've been doing as a STEM ambassador for the past two years, which is sort of just raise awareness also with sort of parents that actually this is a this is a career and, and you get paid for making games and you're not just sitting in an office playing games, you're, you're, you're doing difficult sometimes, um, but technical and, and valuable work. Um, but also as a, a Women in Games ambassador, 
I also work with women who are already um, working in game studios or creating games um, to help sort of promote equality and diversity, which is the main thing, really. Um, it's about sort of creating a diverse environment that we're not just making games from our perspective, we're getting other people in to sort of improve the quality of the games that we are making. Um, and I've, again this year, I've been nominated for Creative Impact and Outstanding Contribution at the Women in Games Awards, um, which again, were nominated by people I've worked with. So it's, it's nice to know that I am continually being recognized um, because it just feeds back to know that I am doing a good and valuable job. So accolades aren't everything and you can quite happily go through your career um, focusing on your job. Um, but it's, it is good to get reinforcement, whether that's from sort of peers or having a chat with your manager to go, am I, am I doing a good job? Um, is, is the work that I'm doing valuable and am I going in the right direction for me to improve? So this is my journey of my career up until now. Um, so hopefully I will continue developing as a game developer. Um, but I have sort of a few things that I've kind of learned during my career um, that I guess I kind of want to share as a sort of summary of things I've learned that you maybe don't have to by hand. Um, the first thing is different studios have different cultures um, and there are pros and cons to sort of working at different places. So at small studios, you might have a wider range of responsibilities. There are fewer people working um, on those projects, so your responsibilities might not be confined to being a specialist in one area. You might have to sort of like cross boundaries and have to do more technical things to try and get things working in game. Um, whereas larger companies, you might be working on a, on a whole team of people who do your job. Um, so it might be that you get more sort of mentoring opportunities because your, your lead might do the same job as you but with more experience so they can impart more knowledge so you're able to grow more as a specialized in, in your specialized area. Um, but also different studios might be right for you at different points in your career. Um, and where you start off working um, might offer you something very valuable. Um, but you kind of don't really know what any one studio is going to be like until you start working there. Um, so it's important not to kind of rule any company out until you've kind of done a bit of research, or even if you're not sure about whether, if, if someone offers you an interview and you're not sure whether, oh, maybe I shouldn't go because I'm not super interested, I might be wasting someone's time, it might be worth it to go and just have a conversation with them and ask them sort of like, what is it like working here? Like, what, what is it like developing your games? But also, what is the culture like? Um, so have a look at what is available, um, whether that's in the UK, abroad, close to where you live, or further afield. The UK is quite, um, we're actually extremely lucky in terms of the number of studios. I think um, this year the UK games map went up, and I think there's over 2,000 studios in the UK, whether that's like one-person indie companies or big companies hiring hundreds of people. So there's different opportunities around and available. You just have to go and 
have a look for them. Um, having goals um, to aim for and to help you decide what your next step is. Um, and that can be whether you're thinking of maybe leaving a job or whether you should sort of accept a promotion or if there's an area within your studio that you want to move into, um, looking at sort of the challenges and what you want to achieve from it will help you make decisions. Um, and I think generally sort of having an idea of what you want to do in one year or two years or five years, even if those goals change, it, it kind of helps you in terms of what training do you want to ask your managers for at work, whether that's some books or to send you on a training course or, or get some, someone in to sort of like help you learn a new piece of software. Um, but yeah, having those goals will help you know what direction you should be driving yourself in um, if you want to improve rather than sort of just focusing on the work that you have to do um, to get the job done. You can also be sort of motivated by what kind of developer you want to be and what do you want to be in five years' time? Do you, do you want to still be doing this same job or do you want to sort of, do you want to be a lead or do you want to just focus on creating assets and making a really awesome game? And your job role or end goal may change and that's okay. Um, your career goals might change based on the work that you do at a company. Um, you might get exposed to different techniques, um, different game engines, um, or even job roles that you didn't really know about before you started working there. Um, and that might sort of spark an idea about, oh, actually, maybe I, I want to follow this path or I want to investigate what, what, what does this role do, um, which may, may be one of the best benefits of working in big studios where you do have specialists um, because they're very focused on something. So a lot of people don't realize that UI art is a dedicated role. Um, we often find sort of a lot of people want to do 2D art, but there's not as many job openings for that. But finding out that UI is it's a really valuable role, um, it suddenly sparks to them, oh, actually, I've got the skills to do this um, and may move into that area. Um, and also taking on different responsibilities. Um, being a lead isn't for everyone. Um, it takes more time out of my schedule from actually doing the task work. Um, I don't do so much development creating the actual tools or getting individual things working in game, but it's really rewarding having an overview and being able to discuss sort of where I want to take the overall pipeline and push it in a direction that I think is really going to benefit the company and also the projects that you make because our end goal is to make really awesome games that people find fun to play. Um, so whilst I'm not making as much content that goes into game, I'm sort of paving the way for the artists that I work with to be making that awesome content and be delivering on time. Um, so that essentially we can turn a profit and everyone still has jobs. <coughs> Take any opportunities for mentorship or training. Um, for most people, you probably have a lead who does the same or a similar job to you. So ask them questions. Um, hopefully they'll already be sort of imparting any knowledge that they, they've gained through experience to you. Um, for me, I 
didn't really have anyone working directly above me who kind of did what I do or even really understood what I did. Um, technical art and technical animation are sort of a hybrid role in between art and programming and I think still quite a few people, if you're an artist you, you generally sort of want to create art and the idea of working with maths and programming is terrifying and why would you ever choose to do that and programmers don't always sort of understand sort of what an artist is really trying to achieve. Um, so in my role I, I get to sort of be that translator but throughout my career I didn't really have anyone who could kind of teach me things that they'd learned. I'd sort of, luckily I'd come from both a technical and artistic background, but I felt that I was missing out on having someone who could kind of guide me in the things that I wasn't sure whether I knew them. Um, you kind of, you don't know what you don't know. So I had to do a lot of sort of research online. Um, luckily there's a technical art forum that you could sort of find out, oh, what are the new techniques? And watching any talks from, say, GDC and other technical um, conferences is really helpful. Um, but it's always good to kind of have that face-to-face -face contact or even via email directly to a person to kind of ask advice. But luckily, all the artists and programmers and the animators that I worked with, they had valuable individual experience as game developers that I could learn from them. Um, and also learning to be a lead um, I sort of looked at what worked for me and what I saw working for other leads in terms of motivating their team and getting the best out of it and continually talking to my team about sort of what they want, how do they want to develop as individuals, um, yeah, do they have any problems, um, making sure that I wasn't sort of neglecting sort of their development as well. Um, but um, yeah, you can, you can learn from people all around you and if you want a specific mentor, the easiest way is to just ask someone, which can seem really scary because you assume that they're totally busy and will never have a time for you and you're obviously bothering them by asking. But to be honest, there are a lot of really helpful people um, out there in the games industry and we've all been where you are. Um, I know there's a lot of game developers on, on Twitter um, and you can just send people a direct message um, or an email if you have it to say, sort of, look, I respect your work um, or what you do, or I just have this question. Um, and the worst thing that can happen is that they don't respond to you. Maybe they are too busy. But if you don't ask, you will never sort of get that. Um, so yeah, just sort of take, take the leap and and, and sort of ask people if, if you have questions for them. And sort of moving on from that is don't underestimate the power of networking. Um, sometimes it is who you know um, that will help you make that next step in your career. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing because everyone wants to work with people that they know can do the job and that are good at it. Um, so whether it's sort of moving internally um, and being able to talk to people in a, different in, in a different department, maybe if you want to sort of slightly change what your responsibilities are, or if it's sort of going for a new job. Um, the games industry is still small enough that if you move companies, you'll probably work with someone that you've worked with before or that they've worked with someone that you've worked with previously. Um, and if any jobs are going uh, studios, 
um, that people are aware of and they think that you'd be good for the job, um, they'll probably contact you. Um, many of the big studios give referral bonuses, so it's within people's interests to sort of get the right person in and sort of get a, get a bit of extra money for getting someone into the role. Um, and you, you really don't know sort of what impression you're making to other people. Um, it might be that you're noticed by someone who you kind of don't even work with directly, but they notice the work that you're doing in the, in the office. Um, and where sort of the recognition for sort of develops 30 Under 30 and the Women in Games Awards was concerned, it was people that I'd worked with who'd sort of said, you're doing a good job and we'd like you to be recognized for it. Um, and that's really nice. So you, you kind of don't, you don't know what your work is kind of gonna mean to someone else or what they're gonna take away from it. So it's important to sort of network externally Go to events. Um, you're all here today, so chat to the people around you. Um, you don't know where they're going to be in a few years' time. But also, don't be scared of talking to sort of people with more experience. Um, don't sort of sort of um, hang on too long if, if you've kind of asked your question. Let them go gracefully, but don't be scared of just asking them. Um, and also, network with the people that you work with. Um, if you're an artist, don't just stick to chatting to other artists. Find out what programmers are doing, what designers are doing, um, because you'll probably find that you make some really good friends uh, just by having conversations and moving out of your comfort zone. If you want to stand out, never stop pushing yourself. Um, it's a really good thing in your career to kind of just want to do a good job. Like, being a lead really means having more responsibility um, rather than I'm, I'm better than sort of my senior technical artists. I mean, they, in, in some skills, they're way better than me. Um, but there's a, a, there's a lot to be gained from being able to talk positively about yourself, being able to sell yourself, whether that's going into salary negotiations internally in a pay review or negotiating when you want a new job. Um, or even if there's a task and you want to take responsibility for it, you want to be able to push yourself. Being able to objectively say, these are my skills, um, I can do it, um, is, is really good because you, you will push yourself and you will grow. And if you ever reach the unfortunate situation where there are redundancies, um, having people recognize that what you do is more valuable than, say, someone else, um, might mean that you keep a job or you might get a job because you have a skill that might not be what your job role specifically is, but because you understand how the game engine works or you understand a little bit more about sort of other departments, that might help you get that position. Um, and one of the things that really helped me early on in my career was working with people who had so much more experience than me because I was constantly sort of trying not to be the weakest link in the chain. Um, I wanted to sort of push myself to maybe be them in, in at some point or even be sort of better um, at my job than, than they were at theirs because ultimately you want to make really awesome games and, and the way to do that is being really good at your job. 
um, and being able to think about sort of what makes things fun and how to do things efficiently so that you can deliver games on time um, and that you are both making a fun game, but you're turning a profit so that you can continue making games, you can finance the next game, whether that's a, as an indie studio or as a big studio. You don't want to sort of be wasting time. Um, and pushing yourself doesn't mean working extra hours. Um, like, overtime is generally not a good thing because you, you burn yourself out. Um, what, what it means is working smart during the day, getting your work done, but also looking at ways of improving and not getting stuck, just sort of doing the same process over and over again, if actually you can find a way to, to, to work around sort of boring tasks and actually get your work done more efficiently. Um, and the games industry is sort of, it's always evolving technology-wise, so stuff that you're learning now, whether that's software or processes, or even the game engines that you use, in five years' time, they might have completely vanished. Um, so it's good to kind of always be aware of what is out there, what other people are using to create games, um, what the different processes are, so that if you do hit any unfortunate circumstances or suddenly there are big changes, you're adaptable um, and you can be of value to the company. And the last and most important one is enjoy yourself because it could be that you're working for 45 plus years um, and the games industry is really exciting. Um, I think sort of all the creative industries generally are. We're making, we're making content that sort of it's entertaining for other people. Um, and it's also hard work. It, there's a lot of sort of um, technical knowledge and understanding that you need as a game developer to be able to deliver well. Um, but the end product should be fun, but also your day-to-day -day job. Because if you're not enjoying yourself, you're going to burn out faster. Um, and you're also not going to do as good a job. Like, if you're passionate about something, then you will do a lot better job than if you're just turning up for work and kind of going, OK, well, I'll do my 9 to 5, um, and then I'll go home. Um, if, if you care about the content, you're going to want to push yourself further, and you're going to want to make the game better, because you want the people who, who are playing it to most of the time to be amazed by like what you've done. Um, so yeah, um, don't forget to enjoy yourself. The, the industry is challenging, um, but it's also a really great place to work and you meet a lot of great people. Um, so that's most of what I have to say. I'll uh, shuffle up and sit here. I did, even though I'm a journalist, I did check these facts. Uh, you mentioned the number of opportunities and how lucky we are here in the UK. Um, yeah, so it's the 2,088 game companies here at the moment, 12,000 people making games, and another 21,000 people employed in industries around the games industry service and so on. So that's 32,000 jobs. To give you some perspective, I'm a games journalist. I'm one of 48 full-time games journalists and YouTubers, etc. ignoring that. But yeah, it's all, the numbers are there. Go to Tiga and Yuki, the main trade bodies, and there's loads of numbers that will make you feel the opportunity is a big one. Um, so yeah, I think, and speaking of opportunities, we're not here to listen to me waffle. Does anyone have any questions? Fantastic. Uh, that was the first hand up. So yeah, the chap with his hand up. 
Hi, my name is Thomas. I'm a programmer. I come from Bristol. Uh, my question is, you mentioned one of the tips uh, is actually quite appealing to me because uh, I started as a programming, but because we had redundancies, I had to take over responsibilities from art, from the art team. And that sort of opened my, my mind towards wanting to create both art, combine the art and the program, programming. So my question to you is, what advice could you give me on the technical skills needed from a technical artist's point of view going towards that direction, in essence?